Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. This morning at Hosea chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, flip to Hosea. It's the first of the minor prophets there towards the end of the Old Testament in our Bibles. Um, And we're going to look at all of chapter 4. Now while you're turning there and before we read the text together, I want to say this. The book of Hosea up to this point has been kind of intense in both directions. There's been really intense judgment, but then immediately there's really intense announcements of mercy and grace for the people of God. And it's been fantastic. So it's been kind of like, ah, this is a hard sermon. This is a glorious sermon. This is a hard sermon. This is a glorious sermon. Well, that changes and not in the direction we may want it to in chapter 4. The rest of the book of Hosea is pretty rough because all of the, the announcements of like, hey, but mercy, don't show up again really until the very end of the book in chapter 14. So I'm not going to leave us there in our misery every week. Don't worry. We're going to go to Jesus together. But I want you to know that, that there are some hard things that Israel needed to hear, some hard things that Judah needed to hear. And And there may be some hard things that we need to hear along the way. So let's give our attention this morning to Hosea chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish, and also the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend, let no one accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest." You shall stumble by day, the prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother." My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. The more they increase, the more they sin against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. And I will punish him for his ways and repay him for his deeds. They shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore but not multiply because they have forsaken cherishing the Lord. Whoredom, wine, and new wine which take away the understanding. My people inquire of a piece of wood and their walking staff gives them oracles for a spirit of whoredom has led them astray and they have left their God to play the whore. They sacrifice on the tops of the mountains and burnt offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters play the whore and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore nor your brides when they commit adultery for the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes and a people without understanding shall come to ruin. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not into Gilgal, nor up to Beth-Avon, and swear not as the Lord lives. 
Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. When their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. A wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Most gracious and holy Father, even as we hear this difficult word, we ask that you would add your blessing to this reading of it. I ask that you would strengthen me by your spirit, that you would indeed give me words in my mouth to speak, that I might proclaim the gospel boldly as I ought to do. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Well, like I said, we've kind of turned a corner in the book of Hosea, and uh, he has some rather direct and rather hard things to say. Nothing is being said that we haven't already heard in some form as we've worked our way through this uh, incredible book. But it gets really intense here. And as we come to chapter 4, this chapter in particular is set up, uh, as far as the, the kind of literary structure of it, is set up like a court case. In fact, that word in, in the first verse, for the Lord has a controversy, in, in Hebrew is reef, which is, which is the word for a lawsuit. And that's really what is happening here, is a lawsuit, the case against the people of Israel is being presented. And so we're going to look at this in kind of four parts. The first part, verses 1 through 3, is kind of the general overview of the lawsuit. Then verses 4 down through 10 is a word of evidence against the priests of Israel. 11 up through 14 is a word of evidence against the people of Israel. And then verses 15 through 19 is a warning that is sounded for Judah, for the southern kingdom. Because these words are directed at the northern kingdom. After that, we're going to look at a passage from Jeremiah very, very briefly and a passage from, from Hebrews very briefly to kind of tie all of this together. So first, this section, this lawsuit that is given in the first three verses. Notice a couple of things. He introduces it. The Lord, Yahweh, has a lawsuit with the inhabitants of of the land. I know I've used this illustration probably multiple times. It made quite an impact on me, but several years ago, I was called to jury duty for federal court, and the case that I was given uh, was the, the, the case involving Martha Schaffner. I wasn't picked for the jury, but I was there when I heard the bailiff walk out and say these words The United States of America versus Martha Schaffner. And I thought, oh dear, ma'am, you have picked the wrong fight. The entire nation against you. That was how the court case was announced. And I just thought, I don't ever want to find myself in that position for any reason whatsoever. Well, well as, as wild as of an, of an announcement of a court case as that is, this one is actually bigger. Yahweh, the Lord of all creation, the creator of heaven and earth, God of God, King of kings, Lord of lords, verse the inhabitants of the land. 
the God who topples gods, who reigns supreme and will for eternity, has a lawsuit against you. But notice how he announces it. There, there's even this, this kind of harsh reality to how he announces He doesn't say the Lord has a controversy with Israel. He, he doesn't even own them as his people. The Lord has a lawsuit with those living in the land. In, in other words, the verdict is announced in the announcing of the case by how he puts it. What, what is the case that's being announced here? What are the charges? There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is an absence of what should be there. Faithfulness to Yahweh in his word. Steadfast love. Yes, we as the people of God should express hesed, the covenant love for one another and for God. And there's no knowledge of God. And in place of what should be there, there's swearing, lying, murder, stealing, committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. These charges sound an awful lot like Romans 3, don't they? Now, this isn't one of the passages that, that Paul is quoting from the Old Testament. When he, when he links all of those statements together, he, he's quoting various psalms at that point in Romans 3. But it's the same idea. There is no one who seeks God. No one, no, not one. No one understands. We're all alike apart from Christ in this same position. Then verse 3 announces the consequences because remember, our sin never affects only us. The land mourns, all who dwell in it languish, the beasts of the field, the birds, everything, all of creation. Again, this reminds us of Paul's statement in Romans that all of creation waits with eager longing for the day of redemption. The fall and our ongoing sin profoundly affects everything. That's why I'm saying the verdict is already announced in the announcement of the case by how it's worded. So there's the general overview of the case. Verses 6 through 15, or 6 through 14, I'm sorry, 4 through 14, announces the evidence of the case in two parts. First, in verses 4 through 10, he has a word for the priests of Israel. Then, in 11 through 14, he has a word for the people. Verse 4 is, is, is famously difficult to, to translate. It, it, it's, there's all kinds of weird things going on here. But when we read it in context, we begin to get the idea. The priests have failed. Let no one contend. Let no one accuse and contend and contention. These, these are all the, the, the reeve, the, 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 the lawsuit language again. So let no one bring a lawsuit. Let no one accuse for... This, for with you is my lawsuit, O priests. In other words, he's zooming in on, on what the issue is. And what exactly is the issue? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Verse 4. Because you have rejected knowledge. 
See, the priest's job, in addition to making the various sacrifices that they were supposed to make, in addition to the high priest going in once a year to represent the people of God before God himself with the blood of the lamb spattered on the mercy seat, the priest's job was to instruct the people in the word of God, to teach the people of God the word of God, to teach them his law that they might live in accordance with his word and walk in righteousness and faithfulness and steadfast love and knowledge of God. And what we're being told here is the people are destroyed because that has not happened. The priest has not done the very thing that he was called to do, to give the word of God to the people of God. This is why we end up with those scenes like with Josiah where they're cleaning out some room apparently and find this scroll rolled up and they unroll it and start reading it and they're like, "Um, this seems really important because it's the law of God that's been collecting dust and has been unread for years. And so they read it and repent. The priests failed to do their job. And without the knowledge of God, without knowing what needed to be said, without knowing what needed to be done, without knowing who their God was, the people of Israel wandered all over the place looking for hope, security, and identity, all of which would be announced to them in the Word of God if the priests would not have failed. And so the punishment then is announced in verse 9. And if you're reading in the ESV, you'll notice I read it a little bit differently. In the ESV, it says, I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. But, but in, in the Hebrew, the, the pronouns switch here. And we're going to come back to why this matters in a little bit. Verse 9 says, it shall be like people, like priests. In other words, the punishment that's coming on the people, because they're not just off the hook because the priest didn't act. They still have sinned. They still are responsible. But it will be like people, like priests. In other words, priests, don't think that you're getting some special dispensation of grace from me just because you get to wear the fancy clothes and stand before the people of God and slaughter the animals and all of those things. I will punish him for his ways and repay him for his deeds. They shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore but not multiply because they have forsaken cherishing the Lord. Now again, there's, a, there's a, a, an interpretive translational issue here. The ESV connects verses 10 and 11 and I think they should be separate. I think the thought stops at the end of verse 10. The problem with the priests is they have forsaken cherishing Yahweh. And as we know from from other prophets, what did they start to cherish? They started to cherish what they could get from the people. That they pastored the people, they shepherded the people only to fatten themselves, only for their personal gain, only for their benefit, only to gain a platform and notoriety. In other words, rather than looking to God for their hope, security, and identity, they looked to the people and that which they got from the people 
for their hope, security, and identity. And so they were quite willing to manipulate them. They were quite willing to leave them according to whatever they wanted because they, as we are told here, had stopped cherishing Yahweh. And ultimately, that's what the people did also. Verse 11 to 14 give us the evidence against the people. Whoredom wine and new wine take away understanding. My people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. This analogy of spiritual adultery is used again. The the idea here is that the people following the priest who had forsaken cherishing Yahweh, they also have forsaken cherishing Yahweh. Just like the priest turned from him to what they could gain in this world from the people, the people turned from him to what they could gain in this world for themselves. And they gave themselves to the goods of the world. They gave themselves to the pleasures of the world. They gave themselves to the gods around them, seeking the same thing. This hope, security, and identity which would have been announced to them if they would have stuck to the word of God. If that would have been announced to them. But they didn't. Rather, they turned to rank idolatry. And notice, notice how empty it sounds, even in how the charges are formed. My people inquire of a piece of wood. Idols are regularly presented in Scripture as something that can just be utterly and quickly destroyed. You make out of the same piece of wood an idol and, and, and then a pot to use for whatever. Like, it, it, it's, it's mockery. God is, is mocking what they're doing. He's wanting them to see how utterly empty these idols are. You get oracles from your walking staff. They've been led astray and they've offered these sacrifices on the tops of mountains. They've burnt offerings on the... They've done all of these things just because the shade was nice there. It was a pretty spot. So let's build an altar to something. And let's make sacrifices on these high places to these other gods that they might protect us, that they might serve us, that they might give us what we need. It's so bad. You see the frustration, if we can say that, in verse 14. I'll not punish their daughters because the guys are just as bad. There's no preferential treatment here. That's not what's happening. Everybody is without understanding and shall come to ruin because everybody has given themselves to this rank idolatry rather than cherishing Yahweh. The last part of chapter 4 is a warning to Judah. Remember, Hosea was one of these prophets. He was prophesying early uh, in in kind of the the tenure of all the various prophets. And and he spoke mostly to Israel, but he also uh, would include Judah. And so here in verses 15 through 19, there's this warning that is announced to Judah. 
Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. And then a couple of places are named where, where, where uh, sacrifices were made and, and, and people went. Gilgal and Beth-Avon, which means uh, a house of evil or, or something along those lines, house of transgression. And it's probably a, a, a bit of a pejorative play on Beth-El, the house of God. And he's, he's here, he's warning Israel, or I'm sorry, he's warning Judah, the southern kingdom, do not do what Israel has done. Remember, Judah was kind of a little bit late, later to the game of idolatry than Israel was. And so he's, he's warning them. Long before, even before Israel was to be exiled, long before Judah, the southern kingdom, would be exiled, he's saying, don't do what they have done. Don't give yourself to these false idols. Don't turn from the word of God. Priests of Judah, give my word to my people. My people of Judah, don't forsake cherishing me. So we see that there wasn't at this point in history one word for all the people of God. The northern kingdom was in a way that they needed to hear one thing. They needed to hear this warning of the judgment that was to come. The southern kingdom was in a way that they needed to see that and learn from Israel. That they might not go in the same way. Oftentimes, the people of God throughout history have found themselves in just such a position where some have wandered into things and others need to hear a warning not to do the same. And so I want to give a very careful warning to us this morning. As you know, we do not currently live in a time of political sanity. And it's only going to get more intense as November comes and then as another round of elections comes. And here's going to be the temptation. You will hear, not from one side or the other, though I will quote one particular side this morning, you will hear and you will be tempted to think, if I don't vote or think or act politically in this way, then I am not a Christian. That will be said, as it is, all the time, repeatedly. And you will be tempted to think that. We will be tempted to give up cherishing Yahweh and to make sacrifices of donkeys and elephants under all kinds of trees because we think it's nice and shady there. Don't. I warn you. Don't do that. You may say you're just being your normal bombastic preacher self. But hear this quote that was made just this week at a political rally. We are a nation, and, and this wasn't some fringe thing. This was the lieutenant governor of Texas. 
We are a nation founded upon not the words of our founders, but the words of God, because he wrote the Constitution. No, he did not. Hard stop. Hard stop. If you have to cling to heresy to justify your political action or political position, change your position. Change it. And I want to be clear. I am not saying you have to to hold one position or the other necessarily. But we must understand the moment as the people of God. And we must understand that there are people who claim the name of Christ who are asking us to give our soul away for the sake of a political cause. And I give you this warning, do not do it. Do not do it. A people without understanding shall come to ruin. Now here's the problem that Judah had and that I pray we don't. When we read Jeremiah chapter 3, you can turn there if you would like or you can just listen. We find, we find that Judah did not heed this warning that Hosea announced. That there was some uh, minimum of about a hundred years between the end of Hosea and the beginning of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, uh, Hosea spoke to to Judah and Israel before the fall of either. Jeremiah spoke to Judah because Israel had already fallen and Judah was well on its way. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, remember he's the one who brought the reform, have you seen... What she did, that faithless one Israel, how she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore. Notice it's the exact same thing that Hosea was saying. And I thought after she has done all this, she will return to me, but she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of the faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with the decree of divorce. Judah saw what I did to her sister. She should have learned the lesson. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, and she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committed adultery with stone and tree. Yet for all her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. Here's what happened. Remember, he's speaking in the time of Josiah, the one who brought reform, and he's saying, I see your heart. And I see the pretense of what you're doing. And that your heart has yet to be circumcised. What a warning this is for the people of God, even today. That it is possible 
to claim things for ourselves that are simply not true of ourselves. But hear this. In spite of all of that, in spite of all of that, Yahweh sends Jeremiah saying, go and proclaim these, war- these words toward the north and say, return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger for I am merciful. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree and that you have not obeyed my voice. Skipping down, and I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding when you have multiplied and increased in the land. He calls them to repentance. He reminds them, I am a God of grace and mercy. There was no faithfulness with you to my covenant, but there is with me. There was no hesed. There was no loving kindness, no covenant loyalty with you. There was no steadfast love, but guess what? There is with me. There was no knowledge of how I am gracious and merciful, forgiving sinners, but there is with me. So here's the deal. Come back. Call yourself a sinner and come home. Isn't that an amazing, isn't that an amazing stipulation? He doesn't say, Go make sacrifices. Go get it right. Go start following the law. Prove that I can trust you again. Earn my respect. Earn back my trust. Earn back my steadfast love. And I will have a place for you. No. What does he say? Come to me and tell me you're a sinner. And I'll be merciful. Come to me. And tell me that you have rebelled against me. And I will show you mercy. Come to me. And tell me that you have failed utterly. And you will find me, my children, to be faithful and full of steadfast love and full of the knowledge of how and who I am. And I will give you the world. Now this begs a question. How exactly does this happen? Well, back in Hosea chapter 4, verse 9, it opened, that verse begins with this phrase, and it shall be like people, like priest. And I said there was a translation issue here that the pronoun should be singular. I will punish him for his ways and repay him for his deeds. It's weird that those pronouns are singular because the the rest of them aren't. And I think this is a clue to what was going to happen in the future. Like priest, like people, however, will be the change. Like the people deserve punishment, there would be a priest who received that punishment in their place. 
Not for his own sins like these priests. Like pre, like the people who, who, who deserved the pain of death, who deserved to feel the wrath of God, who deserved utter separation. There would be a priest who went through that for his people and not for his own sin. Rob read to us from Hebrews chapter 4 earlier where we hear of the important and key distinctions between Jesus and the other priests. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then hear the call that echoes the call from Jeremiah. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God sent Jeremiah to the people to say, hey, come to me as a sinner and you'll get mercy. Because he knew that this priest was coming. He knew that his son was coming. And he gives us the same call. For every high priest chosen from him again is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is the same. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sin. But not Christ. The only sin Christ had to offer sacrifices for was the sins of his people. He was without it. So rather than, as in Hosea, like people, like priests, now we get to say, as the people of God, like priests who died for our sin and rose in victory over sin and death, like priests who paid the cost but was welcomed into heaven, like priests who resurrected from the dead, like people. Now, the equation has been flipped, hasn't it? Like priest, like people. The victory that he gained, the victory that Jesus Christ gained over sin and death, over this world and all that it offers in place of himself, is ours by faith, by coming to him, Admitting that we're sinners and receiving from him at his expense nothing but mercy and grace and being filled with his spirit who gives it to us new every morning. The people of Hosea heard like people, like priests, we get to hear this morning like priests like people. He has made the final sacrifice and risen in victory and so will we with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for the hope of the gospel that is contained in your word, that is announced in your word. And we ask that you would strengthen us. Father, we admit that we are so very prone to wonder that we do, as we often sing, feel that deeply.
tempted to find our hope and security and identity in any place other than you and your Son and your Spirit. But you have sent your Son to say, Come to me. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Father, by your Spirit, fix our eyes on Jesus Christ that we might stand strong in Him. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of Scripture and theology.